Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. Good morning, Bethesda Church. How's everybody doing? Good. Can you give God a praise real quick? Come on, let's just... Yeah. So good to see you in God's house. We are uh, going to finalize our series entitled Quench today. Um, And I'm excited about today's message because I believe that it's a game changer um, as it relates to requirements for revival. As Pastor Jay said, a lot of times we're praying for something that we are not preparing for. Uh, how many of there's some things we got to do to experience revival? It's not just a prayer that we pray, God, move, but there are some things that we have to do, and that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, and I want to say up front one more time that I know that this, this term, revival, is a loaded term. For some of you, it, it stirs up memories of past experiences you've had with God. Maybe uh, a tent revival you attended as a kid where there was, you know, a crowd of people and God done some amazing things. But for other people, uh, you have um, seen some people who were eccentric in uh, the way they pursued revival. And some of you just a little bit hesitant and you're just wondering if I've got a snake in my pocket or something I'm going to pull out, and I promise you that's not going to happen today, um, but the truth is, is that revival is not a style. It's, it's not a style. It's not a group of fanatics. It's not a type of church. By its truest definition, revival is when God brings dead things back to life, um, and that's not just uh, in spiritual terms as in lost and found, but how many know God can bring dead dreams back to life? God, God can bring a lot of dead things back to life, and that is what the term revival means. And so I believe that a lot of people in, in our nation and even in our church that we want to move past a theoretical uh, experience with God where we know things about God and we want to experience God. Anybody want to experience God, right? Like I want to experience him. And so that's what this is about, and today I want to unpack how revival requires open arms of unity, open arms of unity. If I had passed out paper to everyone as you entered into this room today and gave you a pen and told you to write down what does it look like for God to, to move in our nation? What, what, what are some of the things our nation needs? I think that a lot of you, at the top of your list, you would have written the word unity. And the reason you would have written the word unity is because we live in a very divided nation, um, divided um, as, as it relates to race, um, divided as it relates to politics, um, how many know even the church, like if you don't sing my song, I'm going to another church. We, we, over the last year, we've watched people be divided over stupid stuff. Uh, whether, you know, we should go to school, not go to school, and we're going we gonna to lose our relationship over that. Whether, whether we should wear a mask, not wear a mask, whether church is essential or non-essential, 
We, we're divided over a lot of stuff. Even marriage in this nation is divided. That half of them end in divorce. And that, that's not just the world standard. How many know 50% of marriages end in divorce even in the church? And so we live in a very divided nation. Um, and we, we, we need to understand God wants us to be united. Now, as it relates to unity, you guys know Karen and I have three kids. And there are times that I have to employ a rule um, because when, when you're a parent, you sign up for never-ending hostility. You're signing up for it. Um, I, I've signed up for approximately, let's see, Elijah's 14, Everly's 5, do the math. I've signed up for at least 27 years of hostility, if you combine it all. Uh, and so sometimes I have to employ martial law, which means that if one of you mess up, all of you pay. If one of you are going to argue over the TV, then no one gets the TV. If one of you steal a snack, then daddy keeps all the snacks. Right? Now, I I don't always enjoy employing that rule, but how many know that can be effective? And and so the reason I do that is because this no-nonsense rule is necessary because my kids are sometimes content to keep fighting with each other, but as their father, I am willing to take whatever I have to in order to end the strife. I'm going somewhere. Um, Psalms chapter 133 is the passage that most of us know when it comes to to the, the topic of unity. And it tells us there that God considers it good and pleasant for us to dwell in unity. But Psalm 133 verse 3 says, For there the Lord has given the gift of life that lasts forever. For there. Where? The place of unity. The Lord has given the gift of life. We have communicated in the series that revival is to bring back to life. So this tells us that God gives the gift of revival to people who get in unity. When we are unified, we can experience revival. But if he can give something, how many know that also means that he can take something away? And, and so I, I want you to catch this in today's message. I'm going to try not to preach past myself because I really want to drive this home. But if we as God's kids are content to keep fighting with each other, our Heavenly Father is willing to take whatever he has to in order to end the strife. Meaning that if we lose the practice of unity, we also lose the blessing of God. If I'm going to say it again. If we lose the practice of unity, we lose the blessing of God. And so that runs contrary to what we believe in the church because in the church, we think that God rewards spiritual things we do. If I pray enough, read my Bible enough, go to church enough, say amen enough, then God is going to reward it. But in God's kingdom, spiritual disciplines are not more powerful than petty divisions. 
I think I should say that one more time. In the kingdom, spiritual disciplines are not more powerful than petty divisions. Um, in other words, you cannot outsing being hateful towards your spouse. You cannot outpray the prejudice in your heart. Your devotions do not work if you dishonor your leaders. So God commands a blessing on unity, but he keeps blessing from divisive people. And there's no better picture of this than a very obscure story in Genesis chapter number 11. You guys have probably read this, but in Genesis 11, starting in verse 1, it says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. In other words, they were unified. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and, and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. You may want to highlight that or underline that because it has significant meaning. And it says, and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Now, no matter how successful you are, the Lord always has to come down to see what you got going on. You can't get up to him, but he has to come. I don't care how successful you are, he still has to come down to check out your little piece of the puzzle. Verse 6 says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. In other words, unity is so powerful that, that it will work even if the motives are wrong. Even if the motives are wrong, unity will, will, will work and you can accomplish things. It says, verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered, scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language, underline that, and he confused the language of the whole world. Now I want to go back and repeat verse number three. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone. Now in this Genesis chapter 11 account, we can see the gospel because these people were unified. They had one language. They were, they were unified in their disobedience because we know God had told them you need to fill the earth and multiply, yet they all congregated to one place in disobedience to God, and they started building this tower up into the heavens, all in disobedience to God, and we can see that is man's attempt to get to God. How many of you understand by now that we could not get to God, so God had to come down to us? This is The gospel is right here. So it's not about religion, our attempt to get to God. It's about relationship. And in the same chapter, God develops his first relationship after Adam and Eve with a man by the name of Abraham who he would establish relationship and covenant with. And I want you to notice the odd detail of the entire story. This is the moment 
when they started using brick in place of stone. When it comes to the Bible, no detail is without meaning. And one of the great things about the Bible is is that the Bible interprets itself, meaning that if snakes were bad in Genesis, snakes are still bad in Revelation, that it will interpret itself. And so the idea of exchanging bricks for stone carries significant meaning. Throughout Scripture, bricks is always used by mankind in prideful displays And stone was always used by God for kingdom displays. Bricks for man's pride, stones for God's kingdom. For example, all throughout scripture we see how man would use bricks for negative things. We we see bricks in the story of Babel's Tower that we just read here. We see bricks in Egypt's oppression of the Israelites, that they were forced in their oppression to make bricks. Jericho's walls were made not of stone, but they were made of bricks, all of which represent opposition to God. Whereas God instructed that they were to um, get stones to commemorate uh, them entering into the promised land, And they were to use stone to build the temple where God would fill that temple and they would meet with God. And even when you get to the book of Revelation, you find out that heaven's walls are not walls of bricks, but they are walls of precious stones. Jesus did not say, I will build my church upon this brick. He said, I will build my church upon this rock, this stone. So what is it about bricks and stones? Even Peter had this to say, that you are not living bricks, but you are living stones. As you come to Christ, you are being built into a house for worship. So when it comes to unity, bricks and stones represent two different mindsets. Let's get to work. Bricks are pressed, stones are placed. Bricks are pressed, stones are placed. Bricks have to be pressed. They need pressure, watch this, to fit into a mold. Today, most people enter enter into every relationship that they have with a preconceived mold. We, We can only be friends if you believe like me. We can only hang out if you support my lifestyle. Bricks. To be a real Christian, you've got to read this translation of the Bible, to sing this song, to wear this kind of clothing. To be a real Christian, you've got to value this. And if you cannot press yourself into my expectations for you, then I cannot accept you. But God doesn't view it that way. See, we want to press people into molds, but God accepts each person as a masterpiece. So while we're trying to form people into our mold, 
God says that we are living stones, we are valuable, we, we are a masterpiece, and instead of pressing us, check this out, God accepts us the way that we come. We don't change before we come to God. He accepts, anybody thankful that God accepted you before you change? He didn't make you change first, but he accepts us, places us into his kingdom. And I know it's hard for some of us to remember because we've been saved for 300 years, but you were not as, you've not always been as godly as you are now. And thank God he did not force you to, to change before accepting you. Isn't it amazing how we often want God to accept us? have grace for us, be patient with us. We want that from God, but we don't want to give it to anyone else. We, we want God to be patient with us, to be kind to us, but we don't want to extend that to anyone else. And so I, I think it's important that we understand that um, people today, let, let me say it like this, people today do not want to hear your opinion. What they really want to hear is their opinion coming out of your mouth. That's what people really want. They don't want you to state your opinion. They want to be a brickhead. And come on, y'all got to roll with me. And force you into their mold. They don't really want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. And if you have a brick mentality, I, I'm here to inform you it's not your job, your place, or your role to change everyone. It's not your, your responsibility. Your job is to love people. Your job is to do the loving and let the Holy Spirit do the changing. And if you can't accept people uh, for where they are, and if you can't value them because um, they're different than you, then I, I, I want to also inform you, you don't have the heart of God. You can only have the heart of God when you can value people who see the world differently than you do. Um, I'm going to take that a step further. If you cannot accept someone because of their sin then you have more faith in sin than you do the Holy Spirit. I, I got a word today. I need somebody to get with me. Because we, we've, got, we've got to get this principle. And before you get to shouting too much, I'm going to hit a few things today that you probably won't shout about. But we need to hear it. Because God commands a blessing where there's unity, but he will remove his blessing from any place that is not operating in unity. Um, bricks are pressed, stones are placed. Secondly, bricks are about uniformity. Stones are appreciated for their uniqueness. Brick thinking says we all have to think alike, look alike, dress alike, vote alike. We, we all have to do the same things. But true unity, true unity, everybody say true unity. True unity requires diversity. Unity is not uniformity. 
It's not we all like the same things and, and we all do the same things. Um, the greatest example of this is marriage. It's made up of, let me go ahead and say this bold, it's made up of one man and one woman. Can I say that? One man, one woman. All right? Um, and they're joined together, and the two become one, but how many know the two are not the same? And if you have brick thinking, you'll think it's your job to change your spouse. But what you fail to understand is in your attempt to change your spouse to see the world exactly like you see the world and to do things exactly the way you do the things, if you accomplish that, if you get them there, you're not going to, but if you did get them there, then one of you is not necessary. God did not put you in the marriage um, to have two of you. He's already got you. So he has linked you up with someone, and many times he's linked you up with someone that views the world differently than you do. But if you consistently keep brick thinking, you'll try to manipulate, control, force them to become something that God never intended for them to be, and you'll never experience true unity. It's only when we can when we can um, see them for who they are without forcing them to change that we can experience God's blessing. And so unity is, is if I'm really unified in my marriage, I don't tolerate them for their difference. I actually celebrate them. Some of y'all just need to learn to quit going where you're tolerated and start going where, where you're celebrated. I've been, I've, been, I've been doing this for way too long to be tolerated. I, I refuse to just be tolerated. I, I ain't going anywhere where I'm just tolerated. I'm going to go somewhere where I'm celebrated. See how quiet it is? See, but, but we, we can't celebrate people who are different. We can't celebrate people oftentimes that do life a little bit different than we do. Um, and, and if you don't get this in your marriage, and you can apply this to any area of your life, but if you don't get that in your marriage, listen to me. One of you will be frustrated and the other will be hurt your entire marriage. One of you is going to be mad and the other one's going to be hurt if you're trying to force them to be something that they are not called to be. We don't get better by being brick-headed. It's not about being a brick, being pressed into a mold. It's about being a stone. And nothing will make you more, I'm going to say this and then I'll move on. I'm, I'm kind of meddling. Um, nothing will make you more like Christ than your marriage. Your pastor, your mentor, your best friend, I, it's all good. You need all of those people. But nothing will make you more like Jesus than marriage. Why? Because you got to die to yourself be good at what you're good at, but celebrate them for what they're good at. I, I, some of y'all husbands and wives are afraid to even look at each other right now. I love it. Let's take it a step further. You will never be all that God has intended you to be if you're only around people who are just like you. 
Watch this. Uniformity will make you comfortable, but it won't make you better. Done a little research. Brick walls are not as strong as stone walls. Brick walls, over time, can crumble, but stone walls, they can last for centuries. It's only when we allow different gifts or different views um, and appreciate people that are different than us that we can become everything God has intended for us to be. So stones have to be appreciated for their uniqueness. Now, third thing about this, bricks are what the enemy uses to divide. The name devil comes from the, 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 in the original language, the word diabolus. And the root word of that is divide. How many know the devil is a divider? He divides things. Um, From the core of his being, he hates God and he hates unity. And God is the perfect picture of perfect unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three personalities, but one God, right? Um, Perfect unity. And so the enemy understands if I can bring division, I can keep them from experiencing the blessing. And this is why, this is why the New Testament letters that are written to the church tell the leaders of the churches that you should put out the people in the church, you should put them out of the church that cause division. It implies that if you want God, you can't keep divisive people. Now, we struggle with that concept. We really do in the church because we, imagine, Sister Jones shows up and we say, hey, Sister Jones, we love you. You're amazing, but you gots to go. You gots to go. Well, why, Pastor? Well, you keep dividing the church through your gossip. The Bible says I should put that person out. Now, we don't like church like that. We're like, oh, let's go get them, Pastor. They love Jesus. Until they can get their mouth under control and submit to the vision of the house and the order of God, they gots to go. And if I, listen, listen, and we don't like that because we don't, man, there's some words I could use right here. We don't, we don't like that because we think that's not Jesus-like. Um, but the, the word of God is the word of God. Listen, we want everybody to come. We want everybody to be a part. But the moment they are divisive and continue to be divisive, how many know? You cannot condone that. Because if you keep divisive people, you are saying to God, I would rather keep people than have you. If you can't clap for that, that's probably a word for you. The Apostle Paul in Romans 16, when he wrote that, he says, he's saying that it's always more important that you have God. Listen, I'll take God and his presence over divisive people seven days a week, 365 days a year. There are some people, they ain't not here no more, and I'm glad they're gone. 
Because if they can't get in order and if they're going to bring division, then I, I can love them from a distance. I'm glad they gone. It's not mean. I, listen, if they repent, then come on back. But if you're going to stay divisive and you can't submit and you can't do it God's way and you refuse to protect unity, then either God's got to go or you got to go and I'm going to choose every single time. You got to go, baby. We love you, but you got to go. We want the presence of God. See, we don't really want revival because revival, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is what revival looks like. When you tolerate division for a long period of time, you welcome the enemy into your life when you tolerate it. If you put up with it, you, you, you actually invite him into your life. And watch this, when you invite the enemy into your life and you tolerate division, you start allowing the enemy to frame the way you see people and, and you don't see them as stones any longer, you start seeing them as bricks. See, when you give the enemy a place, he will form how you see people. And you'll start seeing them as common bricks and nothing unique, nothing valuable. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, he documents his experience uh, as a Holocaust survivor. And um, he talks about how he was loaded onto an overcrowded rail railroad car with other Jewish prisoners. And when he arrived at the camp, they stripped him of his clothing. They took away his pictures they took away his personal belongings and anything that would make him unique. Everybody had the same haircut. Everybody had to wear the same clothes. They took everything that made him unique away from him. And, and so instead of going by their name, every one of the prisoners was given not a new name, but they were given a number. And Victor Frankel's number was 119104. And so he was given this number, and every time the guards would call on him, they would not call to him, hey, Victor. They would call 119-104. And, and, and the reason they did that is because the atrocities that the guards would do to these prisoners was much easier when they were not looking at the person with a name, but they were looking at the person with a number. Because you have to dehumanize before you can demonize. It's, it's much easier to demonize people when you've taken away their humanity, which is the devil's work. And I'm afraid that what some of us do daily, and my prayer is that our, this message would stir our hearts, is that we can look at the people around us not as a number, but as a child of God. That's not a co-worker, that's a child of God. That's not an aimless millennial or an irrelevant boomer, but they're the apple of God's eye. They're not just a bad driver or a slow waitress, but they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That's not just a police officer or a protester. They're the reason Jesus came and died on a cross. The enemy uses bricks to divide, but it was God who removed the stone so that Jesus could come up on the third day. I'm looking for some stone people, not brick people.
I'm going to say something. This will be controversial, but you all know me by now. I don't care. We don't create unity. We don't. However, we do protect it. It's not up to you and I to create it. It's up to us to protect it. We have to protect the unity. It's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, he said, make every effort to keep which means to preserve or guard the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I want you to notice how God addressed the unity with the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter number 11. I want you to notice this. When God addressed it, he, he, he did not give them three points in a poem. He did not send them a 40-minute sermon from Bishop T.D. Jakes on what they were doing. But God addressed the whole situation by addressing one thing. And the one thing he addressed was their tongue. Wow. He said, I can fix this with their tongue. Because unity is protected and pushed forward with the mouth and it's also destroyed with the mouth. And so if I want to preserve unity, if I want to protect unity and the bond of peace, if I'm going to make every effort to do it, then number one, i got to fess up. i got to fess up. The first step to unity is not God changing them, week number one. The first step to unity is God changing me. Every person in this room has, and and those that are watching online, every person has an inherited view that needs to be redeemed. Some kind of view that's wrong that needs to be redeemed. Every person has an attitude that needs adjusted. I said reformed on the screen, I think, but let's just call it an attitude adjustment. Every person in this room has an offense that needs to be reconciled. The question is, is will you admit it and then submit it to God's will? Will we act according to God's standard or will we act according to our own reasoning? Everyone here has something that has happened to you, something said about you that has offended you. How many here has ever been offended? The rest of you are lying. We have all been there. We've been hurt. We've been offended. Words have cut us. Something has happened. But I want to be super clear. If you keep an offense, then you want your feelings more than you want a move of God. I am preaching. We may not like it, but I'm preaching. I have learned over the last year that many people really do want their feelings more than they want a move of God. They want what they want more than they want what God wants. They would rather be offended than experience revival. They would rather speak out their frustrations than to speak out prayers that could change a nation. 
Do you want your feelings or do you want a move of God? Where have you tolerated division when you could have protected unity by saying the hard thing to people that needed to hear it even though they didn't want to hear it? We have to protect unity. We have to fight for it. We don't create it, but how many know we can blow it up and we can refuse to protect it? We have to fess up. Second, and this is my favorite, we have to shut up. Hit your neighbor and tell them, keep on scrolling. Keep on scrolling. Don't engage every goofy comment. Do you know how much time I would spend if I engaged everyone who was writing about me, even if they didn't tag me? I would never get to leave social media. Sorry, church, I couldn't be there today. I'm responding to all these goofy texts and goofy Facebook posts. You have to understand that sometimes those people that do that, they've been crazy for decades. And Man, I am locked and loaded. They've been goofy for decades, and your comment is not going to change it. I know I've been there when I typed it and hit send and thought, shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Really shouldn't have done that. Because it was brick thinking, it was about my pride. Babel was all about their pride. We're going to reach the heavens. We're going to show God that just like you create, we create. We're going to build a tower that reaches into the heavens. And a lot of times the reason we have to reply to everything that's said and the reason we spend weeks talking about what was said about us and the offense we had, listen, it's brick thinking. All it did is it bruised your pride. It hit that insecure place. You got to bring that stuff and submit it. Before you express yourself, you need to edify yourself. Which means I have to be intentional to allow the Word of God to frame my view. I got to allow the Word of God to frame my view, not what someone else has said. Because listen, in this culture, we have to understand everyone has a truth now. Everyone has their truth. Politicians have a truth. Pro sports players have a truth. You got your truth. But I want to remind Bethesda Church that the only truth that counts is God's truth, which is God's word. So if your truth does not match his word, you may call it your truth. That's all your truth. Unity does not mean that we always agree. Unity does not mean that you cannot have an opinion. But unity does value the blessing of God more than it values putting my opinion out there. Like there are moments when you're getting ready to say something or type something that you need to stop and say, you know what, I would rather have his blessing than to put my opinion out. 
Is that easy all the time? No. No. How many of you other than me have failed right there? Come on, you, you failed there. You, you hit sin. You, <laughs> Pastor Chris Hodges always says he types out his responses, like the whole thing, like the whole response, especially when people are being critical or whatever. And when he gets done with it, he hits delete. I mean, we'd be a lot better off sometimes if we would just hit delete instead of enter. Just maybe you need to vent. Maybe you need to get it out of your system. I get it. I have typed a lot of emails that I never sent. And that's only by the grace of God. Some of them got out there. My apologies. This is therapeutic, by the way. I got to get to this next point, but small-minded people talk about people. Let me say, like, small-minded people, they discuss people. Average-minded people, they discuss events. But great-minded people, they discuss ideas. So if all your conversations are about people, um, you're small-minded. I don't want to be small-minded. I don't want people to dominate my conversation. I want ideas. I want God ideas to dominate my conversation. So I got to fess up, shut up, and then three, I got to speak up. Once your heart is clean and you have God's mindset, God can then use your mouth to bless, to encourage, to include, to, to heal so much more when your heart is clean and you got God's mindset. The only difference, um, when, when you look at this, in what happened at Babel, okay, Genesis 11, and what happened with the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 was a mindset change. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. In other words, their hearts were together, united, and submitted to God, and the result was a move of God that happened and was made possible because they were unified. So in Acts chapter 2, you quickly notice that unity, number one, makes us stronger. The unified hearts gave God the green light to send the Holy Spirit. It was the single greatest human interaction, greatest interaction that humanity had ever experienced. And the Spirit didn't just visit them. How many know the Holy Spirit indwelled them? And so people who were denying Christ and hiding from religious authorities were all filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed, and they began living a supernatural life. Unity makes us stronger. Secondly, unity will cause us to stand out. In a divided nation like we have, division doesn't stand out. Matter of fact, it's normal now. Everything's divided. We can't agree over anything. Buy toilet paper or don't buy it. Buy everything Walmart's got in toilet paper or don't. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Go to church, don't go to church. Play sports, don't go to sports. Everybody's got opinion, everybody's divided. And so anything that is divisive in nature doesn't stand out. But you know what does stand out? Unity. 
People who are different ages, different economic status, different race, different cultures, when they can all come together and lift up the name of Jesus and put their petty differences aside and focus their, how many, that stands out. It's unique. Everywhere you turn, it's divisive. But when we are united, it stands out. The third and final thing, unity allows us to see God's glory. The Holy Spirit empowered them. The crowd took notice. And then the most unifying moment in human history took place in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea. I'm not reading all those. Um, Verse 11, it says, And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God had done. In Genesis chapter 11, God divided the language because the people were unified around pride. They were brick-headed. In Acts chapter 2, God united their language, and the result was revival that swept over the world, and we are still feeling the effects of that revival 2,000 years later. All connected to unity. What are we doing to protect unity? The greatest displays of God's glory happen when people are unified. I heard this story and I'll close with this. It's about a pastor who pastored in the 1940s in the deep south. And racism, you guys know, it's always existed, but it was more overt in the 1940s. And he pastored this church, predominantly white church, and he was preaching one Sunday. And as he was preaching, there were windows in the back of the building where you could see outside. And as he's preaching, there was an African-American woman outside. And he could tell as he was preaching that this lady was listening to the sermon. And he thought to himself, as he's preaching after service, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to, I'm going to find out a little more about her. And he missed her that day because as soon as uh, he started the benediction prayer, she had, had left the church. He, he thought to himself, you know, if she comes back, if I see that again, I'll, I'll make a better attempt to connect with this lady. So next Sunday he's preaching and he, he sees the African-American lady outside the window listening in on the message. And he thought, you know, today I'm going to make this connection. And so instead of doing the benediction prayer, he, he let one of the elders handle it and so he could go on outside. And he met the lady and he walked outside and just said, hey, I'm Pastor, what, what, what are you doing here today? And she began to apologize. And she said, sorry, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I, I just had to be here because I just need the Word of God. I just need the Word of God. He said, you don't have to apologize. I'm so glad you're here, but... Next week, I want you to sit on the front row with me and my family. She said, I, I, I can't do that, Pastor. There's no way I can do that. You know, that'll, that'll stir up a bunch of stuff, and I'm not here for that. I just want God's Word. That's all I want is God's Word. He said, I don't care what it stirs up. Sometimes you need some leaders that don't care what it stirs up. You do. 
Those of you in leadership, sometimes you got to make a decision that a lot of people don't like, and you got to be willing to stand by your decision and see it through. And that's not easy. It will put you in a very lonely spot. That pastor experienced complete turmoil after this. A lot of people left the church and because racism was so prevalent and overt that a lot of the money people left. And, you know, you just go through stuff. And, but it was worth it to him to have this one lady who wanted to hear the word of God. So some weeks went by and this lady asked if she could start helping out around the church. And so she started cleaning and setting up on, for Sundays and preparing things. And, and over time, the church really started growing. They got found their, how many know God will honor good decisions? He will, he'll honor it. Even when people don't, God will. That's why I'd rather have him than somebody like me. I don't care if they like me, as long as God's here. Um, and so the church started growing so much so that the denomination took notice of it. Like, you know, they called him like, what are you doing? Like, can you help? Why, why are you growing? What's going on at your church? And he said, I, I really don't know why we're growing. I have no clue. They said, well, find out so we can, you know, help other pastors. Because obviously they want to reach people like you're doing. And so he, he set out, I'm going to find out why we're growing, why we're reaching people, why, why our family's getting saved, what's going on. And so one, one day he dropped by the church to pick something up. And when he got to the church, um, the African-American lady was there and she was cleaning and setting things up and organizing and doing all this stuff. And, and it, she wasn't just doing that, but he overheard her praying as well as she was setting up. So she would be vacuuming and she would come by where the Joneses would sit and, and she would say, oh God, I, the Joneses, this marriage, they're at odds with one another. God, would you heal this marriage? Would you come back into that home and would you help them to fall back in love with one another and back in love with you again? And she would pray over that family and she would pray because she would pray over every single seat and if she knew the family, she would call them out to God and she would just lift them up and she was just praying and pastors like sensing like the Holy Spirit in the church on an off day and he's just like what's going on she got up to the platform and she laid hands on the piano and said God don't let anything ever be played from this piano that's from man or about somebody's ego or so they can show off what they got or any of that but God let it let it be a sound that edifies you God and and she's like pleading with God and praying and then she comes over to the pulpit and lays hands where the pastor would preach every single Sunday and she prayed and said God light my pastor on fire don't let it be his words, but let it be heaven's words. And God, let it be like a fire shut up in his bones that when he proclaims the word of God, that hearts are changed, that people are saved, that the sick are healed. And, and, and so he's overhearing this prayer from this African-American lady that no one in the church really wanted there, but she had been praying the fire of God down over everyone that was a part of that church. And so he went to his office immediately. You can stand up this morning. He went to his office immediately and he called his denominational leader and he said, sir, I wanna tell you why our church is growing. 
And he said, I I can't wait to hear this. He said, it's not our programs. It's not our systems. It's not that we got the best front door impression. He said, it's none of that. It's not my preaching. He said, we got an African-American lady that's coming to this church that has been praying for every family here, been praying for God to move in this building. It has nothing to do with anything that I've done or we've done, but this one lady has been praying heaven into our earth. Their partnership, their unity released God's power. Give God a praise if you believe that unity will cause God's blessing to show up. Guys, I've done it every week. We're going to do it one more time, but I want them to throw the prayer up on the screen. And I I don't want you to thank the prayer. (laughs) I want you to say it. And I want you to say it with your heart today. And I know this is a tough one because some of you, as you heard this message, you're thinking about the person you're at odds with and you're thinking about this situation or that situation. Listen, fess up, shut up, speak up. Do what you got to do. Apologize if you need to apologize. But whatever you do, whether it's in your home, your business, your church, protect unity. Protect unity. On the count of three, let's pray it together. One, two, three. Heavenly Father, my heart has been stirred for more of you. May our unity unleash your power. Today, I ask you to search my heart for any offense or attitude that divides. Renew my mind, heal my heart, and use me to bring unity. Today, I ask you to guard my mouth and redeem my words. Let everything I say align with your word and use me to bring unity. Today, I ask you to fill me with your love and guide me to those who need it. Empower me to tear down the spirit of division in my home, job, church, and community. Use me to bring unity in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you wanna be used for unity, to protect unity? Come on, give God a praise if you want to be that person today. I know I went a little longer, but I told you I wasn't going to preach past myself today. I wanted to lay that out there. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around. If you're in this place, my prayer is that you be unified with Christ by submitting your life to him, inviting Jesus into your heart and into your life. He has already paid the price of your sins, but if you're in this place or watching online, We want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus. If you're here and you're without Christ, you say, Pastor, I'm without Jesus. I'm not right with God. But I want to be unified with God today by accepting the finished work of Jesus for me. I want to leave this place different than I I came today. If that's you, all over this room today, if that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, I need Jesus today. I need him to save me. I need him to forgive me. One back here, God bless you, God bless you. Anyone else? You said, that's me today. I need Jesus, another one. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes, yes, anyone else? Before we pray, those of you that are watching online, make this a part of your day as well. Listen, if you pray this online, let us know that you prayed it, but I want every voice lifted. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my savior. Thank you 
for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give those people a big hand clap right there. So good. Prayer team and staff, come and get in place. Listen, if you made that that decision to follow Christ, uh, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. And I know some of you are like, why does he say that every single week? Because I refuse to pastor a church where people get saved and we don't know it. I, I just don't want to be that church. If you made that decision to follow Christ, let us know who you are by filling that card out. And listen, you can take it back during this last song or right after service. There's a table to my left, your right, in the back of the room. There's balloons, easy to see. Um, give that to, to whoever's working that table today. They would be happy to help you and, and to also place a Bible in your hand and, and just help you take your next step. I want to open up these altars during this last song. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't hesitate to come and receive prayer. I believe that where there is unity, that's why the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name. What does it say? God says, I am in them. Why is he there? Unity agreement. I believe there's agreement in this this church, which means all things are possible. If you believe it, give him the best praise you have all day. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv slash give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.